Well, here we are in Acts chapter 12, looking at verses 11 through 19 this morning. When Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. And so when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda appeared to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. But they said to her, you are beside yourself. I like the King James on that. Thou art mad. Yet she kept insisting that it was so. So they said, it is his angel. Now Peter continued knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But motioning to them with his hand to keep silence, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison and said, go tell these things to James. And to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. Then, as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers about what had become of Peter. <clears throat> but when Herod had searched for him and not found him, he examined the guards and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. That is, Herod went down to Caesarea. <clears throat> so Peter has once again miraculously and angelically been released from prison, like we saw in, in Acts chapter 5 as well. He was chained between two guards, one on the right, one on the left. And Peter had been sleeping when the angel arrived sleeping so soundly that the angel had to punch him in the side. The angel told him to arise and to get dressed. And as he stands, the chains fall off of his arms. Now they had one guard on each side of him. Two more were guarding the cell door. Two more were at the first guard post. And then there were two more at the second guard post before they actually got to the gate that entered into the city. The angel, as we read, led him out in fully illuminated safety. But at the same time, not one guard stirred. All the doors opened to him of their own accord. And as he is led out, Peter is confused. As to whether this is actually happening to him or is he caught up in some form of a vision. As we read in verse 10, when they were past the first and second guard posts, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and went down one street and immediately the angel departed from him. The angel wouldn't just leave him outside of the gate. He would take him down a certain street <clears throat> and having escorted him to safety, the angel 
or depart straight away. Now, Peter has been imprisoned perhaps for a week, and that morning was to be the morning that he would be taken to appear before Herod and the hostile crowd that would be deciding his fate. So Peter reflects on what just took place. And as he, as he gets his wits about him, as he starts to realize the reality of what has happened, we read in verse 11, And when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. I know for certain now, he said. There could be no, no doubt that God had delivered him. Not only had he delivered him from Herod, but from the expectation of the Jewish people, meaning he had been delivered from death. Remember, uh, Herod had had one of uh, the disciples killed and saw the approval that was gained from that, saw his approval rating go up. And so he said, well, might as well kill some more while I'm at it to please the people. Verse 12. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. He proceeds to a house that he had visited and preached and taught in on several occasions. The house is a large one. It has many people in it. These believers meeting together before church buildings were erected. This is an example. You can see uh, how this affected uh, later generations. You can go to some of the old church buildings in New England uh, where you have a simple rectangular building uh, as the Puritans eschewed the large cathedrals and built simplistic rectangular structures and called them meeting houses. And this, this building that we are in is in that tradition. Uh, now the owner of the house is said to be Mary. There are six Marys in the New Testament. This Mary is cleared out to us as the mother of John Mark or Mark, who would be the author of the second gospel. And of him we will speak more of at a future time. And as it is spoken of being in her house, we might surmise that she now is a widow. But she also is kin to Barnabas. Since Mark is said to be cousin of Barnabas, we can reckon that he, uh, she is probably a, an aunt of Barnabas. According to his word in Matthew 18 and verses 19 and 20, where Jesus tells us that when two or three are gathered together in his name, there he is in the midst of them. Well, we can be sure that as they are praying, then the, the Lord Jesus is present in this place. For we know the purpose for which they have gathered. Because they're praying, and they're praying in the name of the Lord for one of the servants of the Lord. And it's good to understand 
that when we pray, we pray not in our own worthiness, but we pray in the worth of Christ, what he has done for us. We pray in his worthiness, not our own. And it was for the purpose of prayer, praying specifically for Peter's release. In Isaiah 65 and verse 24, we read, And it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are yet speaking, I will hear. And this is the case, as these have gathered together to pray. For while they are inside the house praying for Peter, outside of the house, he stands. So consumed in the act of prayer that they all but one fail to hear his knocking at the door. It's not the door of the house, but to the gate that leads to the house. But there is a young girl, a young damsel, a servant girl named Rhoda. And she listens at the door of the house. She hears the knocking. And basically she said, who is there? There's Peter. It's me, Peter. I've been released from prison. And as she hears Peter speak, she recognizes his voice. And she's so excited that Peter's outside the gate, she rushes inside, leaving Peter outside at the gate. And it's, there's a, a humorous aspect to this, yes. But just remember, where has Peter come from? He's come from the prison. They're going to be waking up and realize he's not there. So Peter's kind of beating on the door of the gate. He's looking around at the same time to make sure no one is coming for him. And the one hope of getting into the house has now turned around and run into the house. So she recognizes the voice, but rather than open the gate to let him in, in verse 14, she turns and runs into the house. She recognized Peter's voice. Because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. It's Peter. Verse 15, what kind of response does she get? But they said to her, you're beside yourself. You're crazy. Yet she kept insisting that it was so. So they said, <clears throat> well, it's his angel. So the response is to tell her she is crazy. But she, oh, no, 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 no. He's really, he's really out there. It's him, I tell you. It's him. I heard his voice. But that reply to her affirmations of who it is, the reply of the people takes on sort of a, a pagan tone to it. You see, there are several possibilities to the answer when they said it is his angel. They could say that word angel literally means messenger. If we look at Luke chapter 7 and verse 24, Luke chapter 7, verse 24. When the messengers of John had departed, he began to speak to the multitude. The messengers here, same word, 
uh, for angel. Uh, angel means literally messenger. And for verse 27, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my angelos, my, my messenger, before your face. So we can see, I mean, if we were to look at chapter 9 and verse 52, the word is used the same way as a messenger. So maybe there's a messenger that's come to give word about Peter. But it also could be, as was a common belief at the time, and has in different places still exists, that when someone dies, there's a death angel that comes and sort of lets people know that this has taken place. Basically telling them that their prayers had been denied. But there's another way of looking at it too, where they would say, it's his ghost. That Peter has already been killed and his guardian angel is now roaming the streets. I think it's good for us to realize that these truly are early days. That these believers have been believers for a short period of time. We might get the idea of thinking and reading through this, wow, these are really mature Christians that we're dealing with. Oh no, many of these especially have been, well, even for the Jewish converts uh, who had fallen into paganism. They have so many of the old things left, the old superstitions, the old ideas that they come forward in some of these instances such like this. So they had a lot to grow and to learn. And that's why people like Peter were preserved. But I want us to see something else too. The prayer can be fervent. It can be faithful. And it can be faithless. Here on the very premises was the very answer to their prayers. And yet they dispute it as being so and come up with faithless alternative explanations. There's no difference today. Uh, many people will do what they can to try to find an alternative explanation to then that of simply people praying for someone. There's more than... One time over the years that I've heard a doctor say when someone has made almost what seems to be a miraculous recovery, I have no idea how this happened. And I've, a couple of times have been spoken up and said, there were a lot of people praying for this person, you know. The doctor can't give an explanation, yes, because for some reason he can't bring himself to say, that it was something besides what they did, although he didn't know what they did that made the difference. It's very easy for us to, to look to other explanations. Well, it was the drug. It was this. It was that. Well, it was just getting rest or something like that. No, if God's people are praying for someone, then if they recover, then God should get the glory for answering. And if he, he doesn't, miraculously heal and takes that person to be with him again we praise the Lord for his goodness we are reminded in this what happened after the resurrection the disciples hear of the report 
And if we turn to Luke chapter 24, Luke chapter 24, verse 36. And as he said these things, Jesus himself, as they, they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said, Peace be to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed that they had seen a spirit. Now go, see, you said that the whole thing still is good. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Would not have been unusual to think that in the upper room, the disciples had been praying about Christ, praying about the day, praying to see him again. Behold, my hands and my feet, that it is I myself, handle me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. Well, he said this. He showed them his hands and his feet. Notice verse 20, 41. But while they still did not believe for joy... And marveled, he said to them, have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Well, here it is. The answer, standing right before them, and because it seemed too good to be believed, they didn't. Sometimes we see it, strong prayer. When yet the answer comes, we can be oblivious to it and as it being our answer to prayer. Paul will tell us to pray without ceasing. James will tell us to pray without doubting. In Philippians 4 and verses 6 and 7. Paul writes, be anxious for nothing, but in everything. By prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests be known to God. And the peace of God that passes all comprehension or understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. 34 years ago, I stood in this very place and preached the first sermon here from that very text. Three words. Prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving. What do these three things do when we pray? Well, our prayer is addressed to God. Our supplication is that which we're praying to him about. We are thankful that he hears us. And so what does it do? It, well, it brings us peace. It should the peace of God, <clears throat> which passes all understanding. Remember the catechism question, what is prayer? Prayer is an offering up to God, our desires to God, by the assistance of the Holy Spirit, for things agreeable to his will. In the name of Christ, believing the confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercy. When we pray as we should, and we don't have the time that we pray, we don't have to confess our sins. It's when we have extended time to pray that we do. There are times that we'll pray very quickly because of a circumstance. 
and something happening, happening very quickly. But when we pray as we should, something should happen. Peace. Peace should come upon us. Peace because we have the assurance that we have been heard. Uh, before the service, Shirley was playing, and I could hear, you, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, some more peculiar than others. I could say particular people. A particular people that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's... We have to remember who we are when we pray and how it is that we're being heard. It's very important because if we forget any of that, our prayers can go sideways and go quickly. We have peace because of the wisdom and power of God. The assurance of being heard through Christ. Faithless prayers, you will find, are generally the result of two possible things. First, a lack of confidence in what we are asking for. Or much worse, a lack of confidence in God. Well, here we see that as this young servant girl runs into the house, her announcement is not received. Nobody is coming to the gate to see what has happened. She still continues to say it's him. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> excuse me, verse 16, Peter continued knock, knocking and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Now I can think of another time that runs a parallel to this. We have the father of John the Baptist. He's in the temple. He is working the incense. That's his commission as one of the priests at this time to keep the altar of incense lit during the time of prayer because the incense was to go up as the time we're praying, the people were praying. And what is it going to teach them? It teaches them that they needed something else beside themselves to be accepted to God, for their words to be accepted to God. So that incense was very important. He keeps it going. It's the hour prayer. He's praying. And he's praying that they will have a child. We don't hear the exact words that he used, but when the angel appears, what does the angel say? Greetings, Zacharias. <clears throat> I want you to know that your prayer has been heard. You and Elizabeth will have a child. He doubts the answer that the angel gives him. And that's why you see that he was uh, struck mute by the angel until the birth of the child. But he prayed. And we would think that he's a good man. He's a priest. He's a man of perhaps of, of the, the proper faith because of what he says afterwards about what had come to him and what's going to be with John the Baptist. So there's a belief in Christ in this man. But at that moment, he shows great humanity. And that is, I prayed, I was told there's going to be an answer. I said, that's got to be impossible. 
The wife and I are too old. It's kind of like, well, why were you praying in the first place? <laughs> but here, they've been praying for Peter. And Peter stands at the gate, and they're like, how'd you get here? They were amazed. They were astonished. Peter continued knocking. Because Peter is now living in a post-miracle reality. The big gate of the city opened of its own accord to him and he went out. But the little gate of the house stayed fastened. The gate at Mary's house wouldn't budge. What's that teaching us? Well, I think it teaches us this. When normal means are at our disposal, we should not ask for miraculous means. It took miraculous means to get him out of the prison to open that gate and get him out. But it's only the people of God who are keeping away from the other gate being opened. It doesn't take a miracle for that to happen. So when Normal means are at our disposal. We shouldn't look for miraculous ones. And, of course, the gate to Mary's house, not budging, might keep Peter himself from thinking that all gates should open to him. Finally, all heard the knocking. They opened the door. And they're all amazed. They're astonished. In verse 17, they're, they're buzzing all about that. They uh, brings them into the house. And, and in verse 17, but motioning to them with his hand to keep silent. He declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. So you have all this buzzing going on within the house. He, I can imagine this. It's happened and all that. And Peter has the universal gesture of, So much noise, noise of excitement. But Peter has to motion for the quiet because that he wanted to speak. And again, we have to understand there's a concern for security. Too much noise might attract attention. We have to remember that the Jews had organized informants that would come in and act like they were believers. Or there were others who would be observers. And if they saw a group of people gathering in a house, making noise and sounding joyful and that sort of thing, they might say, this is a house that needs to be checked. Now he tells them how the Lord had brought him out. He says it was an angel who brought him out. This is how Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, knows that it was an angel that brought him out because here he is. Mark will tell him. He'll tell him. Peter will tell him of what took place. Now, Peter says he was led out by an angel. And some people say, I don't go. Okay, so Peter's a liar. Now, Peter does drugs. So you don't know what's going on. Peter says it was an angel that let him out. So what are we deduce from that? 
It was an angel that led him out. He's probably still got sore ribs from where an angel punched him. I don't know how hard an angel punches, but I think you'll know it when it happens. He instructs them then to tell James and the brethren about what had taken place. Go tell these things to James and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. He went to a, an undisclosed place, if you will. So far, we have seen the divine preservation of him. And now he's showing himself some wise self-preservation as well as concern for others. And a lot of times, divine and self-preservation come together. It's not, we shouldn't look at Peter and say, oh, now he's gone into hiding. What a coward. He leaves where he is for the safety of the people that are in that house so as not to put them in jeopardy. He's not going to go to the others and put them in jeopardy either because there'll be people watching. And so he must go to another place, keep himself out of danger because Herod will be full of wrath. His moment to impress the people, gain further acceptance, and we'll see, uh, Lord willing, next time that we are in the book of Acts, how he rejoiced in the people referring to him as a god. So he, Peter, goes to another place to keep himself out of the danger and wrath of Herod. The first thing I want to say as we conclude all this and look at these things that we've seen is first, is there's a, there's a deliverance. <clears throat> Peter is led out. He's led out of the prison. He doesn't stay long. It's the second time he's not had to stay long in prison. Paul, for a while, is kept in the prison at Philippi. And for the long time before his death, He's kept in the prison in Rome. You say, well, why is one let out and the other kept in chains? Well, Peter has work to do on the outside. While in Rome, Peter, Paul was talking to anybody who came into his room. And conversions were happening. He was using his cell <clears throat> as a place to preach. And even those who served the king who served Caesar, were coming to him and getting saved. So Paul stays in prison. The gospel is free. Peter's let out of prison. The gospel is free. Danger. That's the next thing we look at. <clears throat> All those at that point in that place were in danger due to believing in Christ. Jesus said, you will be hated by all men for my name's sake. And then when it happens, people go, how did that happen? Why don't people just love me? I'm coming with good news. People should be delighted that I'm here. I'm telling them how to have eternity, an eternity of bliss with, with the Lord and have their sins forgiven and all that. And yet people come and they want to kill me. 
They hate me. It's worse in our country because we come out and say, oh, we're Americans. You ought to love us. I mean, we're from America. You ought to be honored that we're here. <clears throat> you see, we don't really know what it is to be despised greatly for the sake of Christ. We might as time goes on. But this whole thing, and we'll talk about that, Lord willing, next Sunday morning, but this whole thing about, oh, let us fly away before tribulation hits. It's some of the most unscriptural teaching you're going to find. We're going we're to get out of it before the bad stuff comes, and yet the scriptures teach us all throughout that we're going to have to deal with tribulation. And by much tribulation we enter into the kingdom. Not being, avoiding it, by much we enter into the kingdom. And then there's superstition. Death angels. Ghosts. Etc. We always have to be on the lookout for superstitions. It happens even the most sincere of people. Three weeks ago, I prayed over in that section of the building and my prayer was heard. Guess where I'm going to go next time I have to pray? I'm going to go over to this part of the building. And I came in through that front door. Now when I leave, I've got to go out that back door, that front door, back door, whatever you call it. Got to go out the same door I came in. Isn't it interesting how we can look at inanimate objects and say these things had a certain power or ability to them? This place, this building, this choice of words, this repetition of... of uh, a biblical prayer or something like that, not that that's wrong, but if we see the power of prayer as anything but the power of Christ, then we get into superstition. When we begin to think it's anything that we have done that makes our prayers acceptable and answered by God, we've lapped into a form of superstition because the only way we're heard is in Christ. And again, the gospel is never chained, whether it's in prison or whether it's being broadcasted by those who are free. Peter's on the move, Paul's in prison, souls get saved. That is the power of the gospel. It removes chains, as we looked at last week. And if the chains, the greatest chain that we can have is unforgiven sin. Sin that keeps us from God. And the only place that those chains will fall off is through Jesus Christ and his atonement on our behalf. Let's stand together for prayer.